Hello beautiful and welcome to Finding Fertility. I'm your host Monica Cox from FindingFertility.co and I created this podcast to help get you to start thinking outside of the box and realize that your infertility might have nothing to do with your lady bits. Rooted in functional medicine and personal experience, finding fertility is all about looking at the whole body and finding the root cause of your infertility. Finding fertility does not diagnose, prescribe, or treat any issues of infertility, but what we do is take a holistic approach and improve your diet and your lifestyle to get you steps closer to creating your dream family. Just by being here with me, listening to this podcast, you're already going down the right path to making your dreams come true. Let's do this together. Happy Friday, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Fertility. I'm your host, Monica Cox, and I am here with Jacqueline today. I am so excited to have you on. Um, This is the first time I've seen your face, (laughs) but we've got to know each other over a book you are writing which I'm super excited about because the moment I saw it and started weeding through it, I was like, this is game changing. This is like, this information is kind of out there. I've seen it before, but not directly for fertility. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am more than excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background and who you are. Okay. Um, My former career was in birth work. I started out as a doula in about 2002, I got um, certified through the UCSD Hearts and Hands program for their voluntary on-call doula service. And I just, I fell in love with it. And so I ironically ended up moving back to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which I had sworn off entirely. Um, But there is a amazing midwife there that uh, I apprenticed with. And I got to go into the Amish circles and, help help her and um, learn about birthing, you know, home birth and, and prenatal, natural prenatal care. She was more about nutrition and herbs um, than your standard. Sometimes in that circle, they can be called medwives, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I realized how common fertility issues were there were women that would come to her that after having miscarriages or you know um, in the in the Amish community it's just expected to have children and so these women would come to her if they had gotten married within the past year or about a year ago and and they still hadn't fallen pregnant so um it, it, it I was like in my early 20s and like you know fertility issues were just not on my radar um so that was eye-opening to me and and then I went on to Um, get certified to teach yoga and then prenatal postpartum yoga so that I could bring it to my community. Um, And just further into the birth work, I started an on-call doula collective because there weren't very many doulas in my area. And uh, it's just, it's hard being on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, And I started encapsulating placentas, got, did the training program for that. Um, But all through this, I was always interested in nutrition. My dad's a nutritional biochemist. And so, um, Somewhere along the way, I, I um, attended grad school for uh, holistic nutrition, and um, then I went to IIN just to get a health coach certification. And um, where I am today started because I worked for a naturopath being a um, research assistant for MTHFR. And that just kind of 
snowballed really, really quickly. And um, everything, the you know, the history with the birth work and pregnancy health and, and preconception health, um, just and how, how much it had to do with nutrition just really resonated with me. So I kind of just took off in that direction. Yeah, it's, um, it's an amazing story. What, um, what did you start learning as a research assistant with the MTHFR? So I, I got hired, I didn't really know much about it. Um, but my, my colleague, uh, Bob Miller, he um, was just starting to learn about it. And he was seeing a lot of clients. And so he wanted somebody to do some research and put some presentations together for him. And so what started out as just strictly MTHFR spiraled into the, the whole methylation pathway and then the transsulfuration pathway. And, you know, it just, it's, it's one tiny piece in a large puzzle. And so it, I, you know, obviously couldn't just stick with MTHFR, which a lot of practitioners are doing because it's just so daunting and it's so much information yeah. that a lot of people just want to kind of stay in that lane. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, about the, the nutritional cofactors, the B vitamins that help the methylation cycle. And it's more than, it became more than just methylfolate versus folic acid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's a big thing within the community, right? The whole, should I take folic acid or should I take the methylfolate? What is your kind of your standpoint from all that research you've seen? what do you now, where do you stand? <laughs> well, I'm not really a big fan of folic acid for anybody, whether you have a genetic variant or not. Um, perhaps if it's liposomal, that that's maybe a, a, a bit more um, bioavailable to the body. Um, but because it requires a few steps to convert into methylfolate, um, that can not work for a lot of people that have certain genetic variants in that cycle. Um, but also methylfolate, which I, I write about in my book, a lot of doctors will say, oh, well, you had miscarriages or you have MTHFR, so here, take a really high dose of methylfolate, but that can backfire if you don't have certain steps in order it, for the folate to work properly in the body. So in those cases, I like to actually start with something called folinic acid. So okay. it's not, it's not going to be, it's going to work like methylfolate, but it's not going to have the methyl groups that can be too much too quick for some people. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I recently posted, well, it's a while ago, I suppose now about the difference between folic acid and folate and why you might want to think about doing the different things. Mm -hmm. Um, a very famous OBGYN who is certified on both TikTok and Instagram literally attacked me on my post telling oh. me how much misinformation I was spreading and um, I mean, obviously, in this day and age of COVID and misinformation and, yeah. you know, basically two different sciences, really, you know, the traditional, let's just say, or the, um, the functional, um, it's a little bit like you get a little bit scared because you're like, whoa, 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 I'm not trying to misinform anyone. I'm just looking at this science over here that's just mm -hmm. saying something different. And these doctors and scientists who are saying this, I just didn't make this up, right? Yeah. Like I'm not pulling yeah. stuff out of my ass. Um, and I must have caught her on an off day because she was like going for it. And um, I ended up I left the whole conversation on the post because I, I'm not here to 
uh, force one opinion on someone. We're just here to present different scientific opinions, which that's what science is, right? And then we all mind share and grow and we finally come to a conclusion. But in my study, because I felt I had to come back with some more concrete places people could go. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the research paper said was, um, you can only assume that folic acid is the recommended one because it was the only one available during the research, Mm -hmm. Um, which I thought was really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And keep in mind, uh, you've probably heard this statistic, but isn't it something like it's an average of 14 years uh, before uh, a published study becomes mainstream amongst your just, you know, family practitioners and that kind of stuff. So a lot of people might say, well, that's, that's not true that the science isn't there. Well, it is, but are you keeping up to date with what is coming out? Like we functional practitioners like to do. So, you know, just because somebody hasn't heard of it or a doctor doesn't know about it, doesn't mean that the research is not there. Exactly. And I mean, I stand by that before I even started studying functional medicine, I went into an OBGYN's office. I had changed locations. So we were kind of starting new and um, I have finally gotten pregnant first time in five, six years. Um, at the time, we finally found out I had high natural killer cells. The clinic I was working with uh, used immune suppressing drugs. Um, and I was working on the holistic side myself. And unfortunately, I miscarried, but it gave me hope, right? Like my body can do this. And I went into her office and I started explaining my theory, like the autoimmune and the gut. And Mm. and she just, she laughed at me and told me that it was made up science. And and all I could think in my head was like, bitch, I don't care if it's witchcraft. (laughs) Like it worked. Like I, like it does, I'm proving it myself. And is that not worth looking at and exploring just because I don't fit in those boxes or you don't believe in it? You're just dismissing it completely. I thought it was really, I mean, that, I mean, my journey really set me to seek a different opinion out of desperation because they weren't coming up with any answers, right? Um, So many people that are, especially the functional medicine practitioners, or functional nutrition practitioners have very similar stories to yours where they had their own puzzling health journey and they've sort of did their own research and, and realized there's this whole other realm that they could step into. Yeah, so I'm, exactly. I'm glad that you were, you know, blessed and proactive enough to stubborn to enough. <laughs> find that. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't take yeah. no for an answer. It just didn't sit right with me. Um, we were talking a little bit before about iron deficiency, and I know that's a huge, huge thing within the community. I see it in my clients. Um, would you like to explain a little bit more? Cause I know you have some like really cool in-depth knowledge on this subject. Okay. Yeah. I wrote a whole chapter on it in my book that gets really biochemical. Um, so Most practitioners will just measure your serum iron and they'll say, oh, your your iron's low, you have anemia, let me recommend ferrous sulfate or ferrous fumarate or some iron for you. And so that like iron oxidizes, just like if you leave an iron rod out on your front yard, it's going to rust. That is oxidation and our, our cells can do that. 
And so if somebody is eating meat, um, they likely are getting enough iron, especially because it's fortified in our foods, even though that's not really the, the right form. I don't know if you've seen on YouTube, you can, you can search um, iron filings in cereal and they're literally iron filings sticking to a magnet. But either way, iron is fortified. It's a very abundant mineral on earth. And so if you are eating meat and you don't have any kind of bleeding disorder, then it shouldn't be that you're not getting enough iron. It's an iron utilization issue rather than an acquisition issue. So just giving somebody more iron to raise their iron level levels can be really problematic and cause a lot of inflammation. And a lot of times people may feel more crummy and this is you know, far beyond just constipation. So there's certain genes involved in iron utilization and there's certain proteins that help your body to better use the iron that is coming in rather than just supplementing with it. So some practitioners that I love and follow myself, I just kind of want to send them a message and saying like, hey, it's anemia is more um, uh, old news. Like it's, it's really iron dysregulation now. So that's, um, I felt very passionate about that, that I actually have made like one YouTube video and it's, it's about that. <laughs> and then um, I, I wrote a chapter about it in my book. Link the YouTube video in the show notes. Um, okay. So this is going to be a really botched story because uh, my brain doesn't work uh, very well early in the morning. But I had a client that had definitely issues with iron, and um, it was the first time I really came across it in an in-depth level. And so I I was really putting in the re research. Mm -hmm. Is it it's something with an F? Um, HFE the gene. No, not oh. the gene. The hemochromatosis? Like, not hemochromatosis. Okay. Uh, I, I want to say ferritin, but it's not ferritin, oh, obviously. Yeah, it probably is ferritin. Is yeah. I mean, there's um, also transferrin, but ferritin is something, uh, if you're going to get your uh, blood drawn and have your iron tested, ferritin has to be in there. Ferritin has to be there. Can you explain yeah. that a little bit more? Because that's sure. what I got into. And I was like, what are those levels? Because it just didn't make sense why she was, she was eating the most amazing diet. She was on iron supplements and she was still having low, like a deficiency. And I was like, this is, doesn't make sense. So I was like trying to like get down for her. And then I stumbled upon that and got those levels tested. But can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So ferritin is um, the, the storage potential for iron. So you can measure your ferritin and see what your storage is like. And, and ferritin in, as you know, with like thyroid levels too, in conventional medicine, I think they want the range to be anywhere from like, I don't know, 15 to like 200 or something crazy like that. Um, where uh, with the functional medicine practitioners like to see it, you know, around 40 to maybe a hundred. I like it to be between 40 and 80 because um, too low ferritin is a problem and can indicate anemia or iron dysregulation. A lot of that can be genetic. And, and that's where knowing genetics, you knowing your genetics, you can really see where the wrench in the system is. Um, uh, but also if your ferritin is too high, that, that's not necessarily a good thing. If your ferritin is over a hundred, ferritin is an acute phase reactant. So it goes up when the body has inflammation. So inflammation causes it to rise. So that's why you don't want your ferritin to be too high either. So there's that Goldilocks zone. It was really interesting. And I mean, we 
dive pretty deep with it. And, you know, I'm hoping I got her on the right track. It's really hard as a functional, like as a coach, you can only go so far. You only have so many tests and whatnot, but, Mm -hmm. and she's in the UK. So I really wanted her to get um, Ben Lynch's um, D or the the strategy. Yeah, oh, the strategy, strategies test, um, because I think that would have really just you could see, like you say, you could see that big picture. I've taken that test myself, and you get like a hundred page document, and you're mm-hmm. like, What the fuck? Like, this is so much information, but like you say, it's not just MTHFR, it's not just the COMT, you know, it is mm-hmm. those different levels. Which, when you're dealing with those like tricky cases of mm-hmm. unexplained infertility um that's where you need to go because you can right. feel sometimes like you're just throwing darts at the dartboard even though you have all the information you're like i don't know where to go now well a lot of practitioners are treating the snips and and you can't do that because just looking at mthfr is like just looking at your serum iron yeah. when there's your ceruloplasmin there's your your um, vitamin a there's your copper and zinc ratio and there's your ferritin and uh, your percent saturation and like all these other things just like you don't just want to measure tsh right yeah. and so just looking at one gene is not really giving you a whole picture and that's why i am biased towards my colleagues um uh ygr um your genomic resource test because it looks at like 260,000 different SNPs or something like that. And so he's mapped out the whole entire iron pathway. So we can see more than just the, the buzzword genes. And, and Ben Lynch's information is amazing. I learned a lot from him in the beginning and I, 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 I love him. Uh, you know, almost like I'd have a poster of him on my wall or something. <laughs> I actually have his strategy and pathway on my office wall, but um, he, he was very, he really wanted to make sure he was only presenting information that had clinically validated research. So that really limited the genes, whereas my colleague separated, okay, so we have this gene and there's like, we'll just say, for instance, there's 20 SNPs under this gene. Um, so these four have clinical research behind them, but these 16 are there and just because they haven't had the research behind them doesn't mean that they're not impactful. So we're sort of um, using metrics um, in, in the software. And I say we, I'm, I'm, I have nothing to do with the software. I just use it um, <laughs> to, to sort of compile that. And so it looks at how you compare to the currently 50,000 people in that software for that particular gene. And rarity doesn't always equal severity. But as we both know, it's not the genes you can have a genetic polymorphism, but is it expressing? And that's where oxidative stress and environmental toxins and nutrient deficiencies and your level of stress in your lifestyle all affect whether or not that problematic SNP becomes expressed. Yeah. So let's go into buzzwords here because oxidative stress, if you are in functional medicine, you know what that is. Is it I see now on mainstream TikTok and um, like Instagram inflammation. So is inflammation and oxidative stress the same thing? They, so I actually looked up when writing my book, um, like, cause I'd heard some people say and read some um, uh, papers that, you know, inflammation causes oxidative stress and other people say oxidative stress causes inflammation, but there are papers that show that, you know, it, it can be either. So it's just a negative vicious cycle. Yeah. 
So, so they just like work together. So when you are inflamed, you get oxidated stress. When you have oxidated stress, you have inflammation. Absolutely. Yes. So the things that are causing these two are the same thing for that person, right? So if Mm -hmm. you say it is just your diet, you can reduce both at the same time by improving your diet. Yeah. Or, or, you know, improving your detoxification ability, which in my book, I do say that uh, I think it is a very good possibility that detoxification ability is even more important than nutrition in this, this society, because we're just bombarded with toxins just everywhere. And we have six liver pathways. And if all of those exit lanes are, are sluggish, then then we're not going to have hormonal health and we're not going to have mental, like, you know, emotional wellness at, also. And so there's definitely more to look at than, than just one facet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, but I told you before the, the call that yes, my mission in life is to make oxidative stress an everyday term for people because it is, it is so pervasive and it is so insidious and that is basically the premise of my book that oxidative stress is what contributes to fertility issues. And so there's different, you know, so somebody could have, you know, like a family, right. Or two neighbors could have exposure to the same toxin, but it affects one person differently than another. And that's where knowing your genes can, can really help to, um, find out where the, the wrench in the path is. Yeah. Uh, what's your definition of oxidated stress then? Well, the quick and dirty lay person term, uh, is not having enough antioxidants to neutralize the free radicals. Yep. And then getting a, a bit more biochemical. It's that if you remember from science class in probably junior high or high school, where you're doing the periodic table and you're drawing the, the, um, the atoms and they have, you know, the, the orbits and there's, there's two electrons in the outer orbit, those electrons like to be in pairs, they, they need to be in pairs. And so um, when you have like radiation or toxins or even just um, like athletes and why sometimes like a lot of Olympic athletes get cancer um, because a lot of um, that stress from over-exercising and training can cause oxidative stress. Um, anyway, the, the electron becomes unpaired in the oxidative yeah. stress and then um, that atom will steal one from its neighbor to stay stable and paired. And then that one will steal one from its neighbor and that one will steal one from its neighbor. And there's a cascade effect. And so that's what causes the oxidative stress and antioxidants donate that electron to stop that cascade from happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so can you link that back to a quality? Because there's lots of issues like why fertility goes astray, right? lots of different things. A lot of the time it is your genetics that you're genetically prone to have those issues. Um, and then on top of that, your, your diet, your lifestyle, just society, just like, you know, your daily living, you know, expands all those issues. But I think the, the big thing right now, um, is women are led to believe that they can't improve their aid quality because mm-hmm. we've had this whole, you know, um, tale of you're born with what you have. They're just there. You mm-hmm. can, they're not affected, which I like in my head now uh, on a functional side, I'm like, how are they not affected? Like right. how, how are they the same being from when you were in your mother's womb to when you're 30 years old, that doesn't make sense. Nothing in our whole entire world 
stays the same for 30 years. Um, how does that oxidated stress impact the cells that are your eggs? Yeah, so our uh, sperm and egg are the first to take the hit because reproduction isn't essential for our self to stay alive. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Rob Peter to pay Paul. Uh, so oxidative stress damages not only the structure of the cell, like the, the cellular membrane integrity and the information in it, in the mitochondria, in the cytoplasm, and in the nucleus with the DNA information. Um, so it, it, it damages the whole entire cell and uh, especially like, um, like oxidized fats, you know, like bad fats, or if you can't properly use your fats, which I have a chapter on in my book, um, they will oxidize and, and cause something called lipid peroxidation. And that's where your fats oxidize and become free radicals and cause the oxidative stress. So your eggs are going to be one of, or the first Thing affected when it comes to oxidative stress because your body is trying to maintain this homeostasis and it's saying, well, we have this stressor here and the body doesn't see it as a bear versus stress from a relationship problem versus a toxin. It just still primarily perceives the body as in a state of stress. And it says, well, obviously now's not a good time to make a baby. So let's take resources from the reproductive system and use it to deal with the stressors and the what the stressors are causing. I mean, I always say that it's just like your body doesn't need fertility to survive. Like, unfortunately, it's just, that's just not what it needs. And right. it, yeah. And that's, I feel like it's the reverse too. So when you're healing and what I always encourage people to do is look at your normal or common health issues that you could, you're physically feeling, or you can physically see and watch those go away first. And then it trickles down to your fertility because that's your body's like, oh, I don't need all that like um, energy to now just try to keep you alive. I can give it to other areas of your body, like mm -hmm. your eggs. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, I feel like once you dive into this stuff, like it's common sense, right? Like, mm -hmm. yes, of course. Like, why wouldn't that work that way? Where when you're just kind of living in a society who kind of tells you, you have no control over your body, it's just what it is. It's those things just happen or um, you're genetically prone. So you just can't, you can't do anything about it where mm -hmm. it just couldn't be farther from the truth. Right. Because we have the same genes that we've had for millennia. They don't change that quickly. And there wasn't an epidemic of fertility challenges, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Say what, 50 years ago, like we don't even have to go back that far for, mm -hmm. to see the dramatic change. You know, IVF is only what, 41, 42 years old. Yep. And now it's the go-to procedure for mm -hmm. fertility issues, no matter mm -hmm. what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, which is, is mind blowing. And it, my, it, it still frustrates me when people tell me that IVF fixed my body. It told my body what to do. And I'm mm -hmm. like, how does a 40 year old procedure trump hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years of evolution, please tell me yeah. how this works. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. And then I also make a point of this in my book and I'm, I've, 
I don't know if it would be offensive to anybody, but statistics and studies are showing that uh, children that are the result of IVF pregnancies do have more incidences of autism and allergies and, and developmental delays um, because I feel like the, the mother's terrain wasn't addressed yes. and nourished mm -hmm. prior to growing a baby. And I say in my book that like, it's just baffling that people spend so much more time preparing their baby's nursery than they do their own body. They don't think about preparing the right environment to grow a baby, a human being that's going to be alive for what, eight decades or something um, before, until they start having problems yeah. trying to achieve that. Well, we've just taken fertility for granted. And a lot of people think fertility is a sign of health, which is absolutely not. The crackhead on the street, bless her soul, has proven that to us. Like you mm -hmm. do not have to be healthy to get pregnant. And I 100% agree with you. It's not the IVF treatment isn't the, the root cause of those children's issues. It's because we're like, I'm trying to get away from this word, tricking our body to believe that we can sustain this. And I see people all the time with, um, especially thyroid issues, um, bypass, you know, the necessary steps to improve their health, whether or not they get off thyroid medication, that's not the argument. They're just doing things to help improve all those situations, get pregnant through medical assistance and have really traumatic pregnancies, really traumatic births, really traumatic postpartum because their body isn't able to support the like the incredibly hard hardships mm -hmm. of all of these processes that you go to like we just think like I think it's just we've just taken it for granted yeah. and until you start having issues you're like oh, okay that's that's yeah. not how my body's supposed well, to act with with conventional medicine just going right to IVF is very in line with just, oh, I have period problems. So my doctor just gave me the pill. It's just, it's not getting to the root cause. And that's why I'm just so thrilled to be talking with you today because we are of the same approach that you have to keep asking why until you get to the root of the issue. So you can, I mean, I do recommend thyroid support for my clients, but really just for symptomatically, still we want to find out why the thyroid was off. The thyroid being off isn't a cause, I mean, it's a cause of, of certain things, but it's not just going to be off by itself. There's something that's causing the thyroid to be yeah. imbalanced. And so we want to, you can correct it symptomatically with, with supplements or medications, but really like, let's get to the underlying reason why that threw off the thyroid in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And how important the thyroid is for fertility, for pregnancy, for all these you know, lifelong things. And I get a lot of secondary infertility with thyroid issues. Mowing the lawn, like right outside of my door. So if you can hear, it's like a sit on lawn mower. I mean, he's, he's like half the size of the, the grass patch, bless him. <laughs> so sorry, guys. It's probably a really good time to end here because I, I'm pretty sure we can talk all day, every day. And we will, we're, we're, both super passionate about getting this information out there. And I'm so excited that you are 
coming out of your shell because I think you've been in your your little bubble with all this amazing information and practitioners like myself are just super excited to get the science get the research get you know get what we know and we've lived through and we've put into place ourselves but to finally get the science to say look no here's your scientific evidence that you wanted or needed yeah well um I would love to come back for sure uh, so, so thank you very much for having me. And, and if you do, um, we were just talking before the, the podcast started about my like fledgling or non-existent social media presence. So um, if you want to follow me um, at Jacqueline down 717, um, I think they have like three posts right now, but I, I will, you can watch me grow. So um, I've, I've committed to, to, to doing that as much as it feels like a chore. I, I, I know how you feel, you, but once you build your community there, it is, they keep you going and the inspiration that you give out is, is why you do it. Um, but I'm super excited for you to um, be a part of this community and, and share your wisdom and your knowledge. And when your book, because I know you've had a lot of rethinks about where you're going with it, because you have such technical knowledge it even for practitioners like myself my mind's blowing I'm like whoa so I know you're gonna like try to bring it down to um a, a better understanding level where you could it's just small chunks and bites and stuff so I'm super excited for you to bring that out into the world thanks I'm excited for it to be birthed uh, when when that happens yeah yeah and yeah. we'll keep you updated and we'll definitely have you back on the podcast to talk about it um, okay so let our listener know where they can find you as you're building your tribe uh, my website jacquelinedowns.com j-a-c-l-y-n-d-o-w-n-s or if you have any questions you can email info at jacquelinedowns.com or you can find me on instagram uh, jacquelinedowns717 Thank you once again for tuning in to the Finding Fertility podcast. If you're loving this podcast, please leave us a rating and review and let us know how this podcast is supporting you to get steps closer to creating your dream family. I hope you have a beautiful weekend and we will see you next Friday for another episode of the Finding Fertility podcast.